Thank you so much. Oh, come let us adore him. We enter into that season when we can slow down a little bit, focus on the arrival of Christ and what that meant, not only in his day as he walked here on planet Earth, but what his life and what he accomplished in his mission on the cross and his resurrection still means to us today in our own personal uh, walk with him and as we live life in this world today, this crazy world we're living in right now. I want to just encourage you that as you think about the Christmas offering, the December offering that Troy talked about, that you just pray about what God would have you give. I know a number of folks maybe haven't found it as convenient. Maybe you were giving when you were in the building and, and you haven't found it as convenient to do the other ways. Well, can I just encourage you to go out of your way? It'd be great if we had 100% of the Calvary family give as God moves them and as God prompts them and as God provides for them to give in this season. One of the major things we do with this Christmas offering is in January, we support all of our mission partners around the world, locally and globally. And uh, that's so important. We give them a, a year's worth of support that helps them. We've been able to do that for several years, and we want to do that again in January. And so let's all pray about it. I know Leslie and I are praying about what we would give. And if we all do that in our homes, then uh, I believe God is going to help us uh, meet this need and be able to support the work we've partnered with here in our community and all over the world. And we get to do that in Jesus' name. What a wonderful thing. Now coming up on December 24th, Christmas Eve, uh, Thursday, December 24th, uh, we are going to have four Christmas Eve services, 1 p.m., 3 p.m., 5 p.m., and 7 p.m. We will have all of those live streamed on YouTube and Facebook and our website. Uh, we'll also have outdoor options available for all, all four of those. And, um, you know, through this whole COVID crisis, we've been trying to do three things in terms of the principles we've been following. Number one is to honor government, and uh, we've sought to do that as best we can, and to do that unless we can't fulfill our mission and we can't communicate the message of the good news of the gospel. And so we've always looked for ways to uh, get on our campus with outdoor worship, to do things like Camp Boost, and uh, we, we've worked very hard to make sure that we utilize all the opportunities we're given. And then, of course, health and safety is a second area. We want to be sure that we're providing uh, an environment that is health and, healthy and safe for everyone, because we know that for some, uh, COVID is an extremely high-risk situation, and so we, we've, we've really been serious about that. And that the third thing is that we can practically provide that kind of space. So we've done things like uh, kind of creating all kinds of touchless opportunities here on our campus so that all the, the uh, toilets and sinks and the paper towel dispensers, you don't have to touch any handles or any knobs. We've been opening up the doors when people do move through our building for any reason so that you don't have to grab a hold of uh, uh, handles and things, and we're going to continue to operate by those three principles. And we do recognize that uh, in recent days, there's been some language that has been changing a little bit in the courts, and uh, there has been a greater recognition of the religious rights of houses of faith. And um, we recognize that even the language has begun to change where even uh, local officials are beginning to say that uh, there is a freedom that's there. And we believe that that recognition of that freedom is giving us some latitude to begin to explore what that means for us and moving indoors with some of our worship. And now remember, for us, the principles are to honor government. We think with these 
things that are happening, we'll be able to honor government, even if there are some disagreements within government, but there will be some freedom for us and some latitude to move in that direction. But then the second thing is for health and safety purposes, we wanna make sure that we maintain masks and social distancing and a limited number of people and following the basic guidelines that we've heard so much about. And uh, in a practical way, we believe we can do that safely. And so we're looking at providing an indoor opportunity uh, for you to gather here and worship on Christmas Eve. And again, we will, we will work to be the, the safest place uh, in our community. And we will work to make sure that we do everything we can to provide a place where we can worship Christ distraction-free. And so I'll give you more information about that and some communication will come out in my, uh, to my email burst list this week. We'll update things on calvarywestlake.org update. And you can uh, check those things out as we um, seek to uh, figure this out even more as we keep moving forward. And again, we understand that there are those who may be uh, at high risk or who will feel more comfortable outside or online. And we get that and that becomes your choice. And we honor that. And we would even encourage that if you think you're in any way in a risky situation. But uh, we're looking forward to continuing to find and ways to honor government, keep everybody healthy and safe and practically gather together to worship the Lord. And it may be that it's just gonna happen on Christmas Eve. What a great time for us to begin to have that opportunity together. I'm looking forward to that. I just wanna stop and pray. I wanna pray for those who are on the front lines, medical folks and uh, frontline uh, first responders, for people who are sick right now. And uh, as, <coughs> excuse me, as we've um, talked about and we've heard a lot about uh, the recent surge, I just wanna stop and pray. Father, we think of uh, those who are working in the hospitals, nurses and doctors and technicians and those who take care of the facilities and the technology and uh, all those who are involved in lab work and all those things. We think of doctor's offices, we think of dentist's offices, places where people are coming and going and we pray for those who are on the front lines of, of helping people with healthcare with uh, the medical needs that they have. And uh, Father, we pray for first responders who may show up in an emergency situation, whether that's uh, police officers or firefighters or EMTs, we pray for those who are first responders. Then Lord, we think of those who are in the ICUs right now. We pray that you touch their bodies. We pray for those who are sick, those who are trying to get tested. I pray you'd open avenues for uh, shorter lines and people there to get tested. Lord, we recognize that um, the, the virus that's out there is a part of the curse that's on all of earth. And yet we know you are the one that we can turn to for help and hope and rescue. And we, we come before you asking that you would uh, rid uh, our world of this virus soon, that those vaccines would be very effective that are coming and that we'd be able to have this in our rearview mirror. Give us wisdom as we continue to try to maximize what we can do in a safe and healthy environment to lift up the name of Jesus together, online, outside, perhaps even indoors. Uh, give us wisdom as we move forward. And uh, Lord, we love you and we trust you. We rest in you through this. We're glad that we do have hope in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, I was uh, noticing in the news last week that a lot of grandparents weren't gonna be able to travel for Thanksgiving or the grandkids traveled to the grandparents for Thanksgiving. And I caught this item, maybe you saw it, Missy and Barry Buchanan, some grandparents who live in Ohio, have grandchildren 
from the ages of 3 to 12, and they're split up in Texas and here in California. And the Buchanans usually go to one for one holiday and one to the other, one set of grandchildren. And this year, uh, they just realized that it probably wouldn't be best for them to travel with the different health risks they have and all. And so they try to think of a creative way to be there. And so here they are with some of their grandchildren. But then what they did was they sent, ahead of Thanksgiving, they sent cardboard cutouts of themselves. And um, they provided these cutouts that were life-size for their grandchildren. And their grandchildren had more fun with it than they expected. So that they were in different settings in their home. They'd take pictures and send them to the grandparents. And, and uh, they enjoyed that. And this was their way of being present. And the family just had a lot of fun communicating through FaceTime on Thanksgiving with, with Grandma and Grandpa with them, both in California and Texas. And I love this, this last one. is These kids even took Grandma and Grandpa into the chicken coop with them when they were working with the, the chickens at their house and uh, the cardboard cutouts are there. They're there in a way, but it's not really them like they would normally be. We're going to talk uh, today about how God came to us as we launch our new teaching series for Christmas called Hope is Here. Hope is here in that God came to us. If you want to open your Bibles, you can go to a Bible app on a mobile device or smartphone, and we're going to be looking at John chapter 1. John chapter 1, you heard part of Luke 2 read about the coming of Christ, the Messiah who was born in Bethlehem. And I want us to look in John chapter 1 at verses 1 through 18 and understand how it is that God came to us in the person of Jesus Christ. As we think about Jesus coming to us, he was far more than a cardboard cutout. He wasn't even just God inhabiting a body, like some detached being that's just living inside of a human being. Sometimes our, our movies and shows about aliens kind of have that concept or some spirit that comes into someone else's body. He's not a cardboard cutout when he comes to earth. He's not anything of just someone possessing a, a body. This is a unique and wonderful thing that God has done for us. When we couldn't go to him, God came to us. As we look at John 1, 1 through 18, we'll, we'll understand this, that when we understand how God came to us, we then understand how God wants us to go to others. When we understand how God came to us, we then understand how God wants us to go to others. There is a certain demeanor that Christ has from, from his very birth in Bethlehem in a manger, overlooked by everybody. Some shepherds are told by angels. It's such a bizarre way to introduce the Messiah, the Savior of mankind. And yet there is something about his arrival that, that is also mirrored in the way in which he lived his life. And as he ministered and as he carried out his, his ministry of miracles and the message that he shared. And he interacted with people and the way he treated people. There is a whole demeanor about it in how God came to us that then we who are the followers of Christ, if we're going to follow Jesus and live in love like Jesus, we have to understand that same spirit in which God came to us in the form of Jesus Christ. We then need to go to others representing Christ and who he is and the good news of the hope that is found in the person and work of Jesus himself. When we understand how God came to us, we then understand how God wants us to go to others. I want us to just see five things that will help us understand the demeanor, the spirit, the attitude, the way we should carry ourselves in this world as we interact with neighbors and coworkers and friends and relatives. 
Even in person and even as new restrictions come down, uh, more and more, we, we do more online and, and virtually. We've got to understand how Jesus came to us to know how we represent him to others. The first one is found in uh, the first few verses of John chapter 1. First of all, God came to us in that he humbled himself without giving up who he was. He humbled himself without giving up who he was. Look at verses 1 through 3 of John chapter 1. In the beginning, by the way, John starts similar to Genesis. This is a fresh beginning, a new beginning. In the beginning was the word. Now we read the word. Why the word? Well, in the day in which John wrote, the, the, the use of this vocabulary, word, is the idea of a representation, an utterance of something. This is a description of the one who is the word. They would have understood it philosophically. This is God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That's who the word is. As a matter of fact, the whole book now, this Gospel of John, is going to be about Jesus, who is and was the word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. He is God. He's part of the Godhead, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Without him nothing was made that has been made. He is God. And, and, and we then read in verse 14, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Then you go to verse 18, the final verse of this passage we're looking at. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. So John 1 through 1, 1 through 18 emphasizes how Jesus, God the Son, was there at the very beginning. He is the creator of the universe with the Father and the Holy Spirit. Nothing was made without him. He is indeed divine. He is God. And God then came and took on human flesh and he lived among us. And he then becomes the way in which we know or are revealed to us, that is revealed to us who God is. We see that in the personal work of Jesus Christ and how he carried himself. Now, I want to note just a couple of things here. Verse 1 it says, the word was God. Verse 3, without him, nothing was made that has been made. Verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Now, that idea of the word, God the Son, Jesus becoming flesh is what theologically is called the incarnation, in flesh. God in flesh. And then verse 18 says, who himself is God. Kind of reminds us, God walked among us. How amazing, how miraculous. Colossians 1.16 says, in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. You know, it's interesting when we think about God taking on human flesh and walking among us. There is this combination of God and man, deity and humanity, blended together, right down to the DNA, right down to the, the spiritual aspects of, of his being. God the Son is forever melded into humanity. 
those of you who love theology, uh, the term for this is the hypostatic union. But it's the idea that he didn't remove any part of humanity and he didn't remove any part of his deity. He, he's not God who happens to be here as a man or a man who happens to appear as God. He is the God-man. This is an incredible, miraculous thing that God does for us to be redeemed and rescued. R. Kent Hughes says this, the doctrine of incarnation means that two distinct natures, divine and human, are united in one person, Jesus. Jesus is not two people, God and man, he is one person, the God-man. Jesus is not a schizophrenic. When the world became flesh, he did not cease to be the word. The word veiled, hid, and voluntarily restricted the use of certain prerogatives. Jesus veiled and hid and restricted his own use of certain prerogatives as God. But God cannot cease to be God. In other words, when the word became flesh, he did not commit divine suicide. God in human flesh. We sing about this when we sing uh, Charles Wesley's famous Christmas carol, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. We sing in that, Veiled in flesh the Godhead see, Hail the incarnate deity, Pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus, our Emmanuel. The name Emmanuel means God with us. Now the spirit by which God the Son left the glory of heaven and walked among us as human beings it is recorded in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. Philippians 2, 5 through 8. It even talks about how we need to have the same spirit in your relationships with one another. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And he's going to then share with us the mindset of Christ Jesus to leave the glory of heaven and to walk in this broken, fallen world. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. He didn't come as a king's son. He wasn't born in a palace. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. His birth, his life, his death, all indicate that God came to us with a spirit of humility. He humbled himself without giving up who he was. So what does that mean for me and for you as we carry ourselves, as we seek to have the same spirit of Christ and how he came to planet earth for us in the incarnation. Well simply put. We can live in humility. Without giving up how God has shaped us. What do I mean by that? When we come to Christ. And we begin to become more like Jesus. God doesn't empty us of everything that we are. He removes our sin. He forgives us. He gives us new life. He generates new life in us. He gives us a relationship with him forever. But he still wants to use my experiences. He wants to use your experiences. He uses our spiritual gifts, our natural abilities. He uses the, the things that have happened to us. He get, uses our, our education, our family of origin, our family now. He uses all aspects of who we are to be able to go to others in humility and serve them as Christ came to us. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, who uh, was... Uh, captured by the Nazis and was killed just before the prison camp he was in 
uh, during World War II was liberated days before he was executed. But the great pastor, Dietrich Bonhoeffer of Germany said, who among us will celebrate Christmas correctly? Whoever finally lays down all power, all honor, all reputation, all vanity, all arrogance, and all individualism beside the manger. Put it all down. Put it down beside the manger. Whoever remains lowly and lets God alone be high, whoever looks at the child in the manger and sees the glory of God precisely in his lowliness, that's the one who celebrates Christmas correctly. He humbled himself without giving up who he was. We need to live in humility, not arrogance, not drawing attention to ourselves. One of my prayers before every service here at Calvary is that at the end of the service, those who worship with us online, in person, outdoors, indoors, however they worship with us, that when they leave here, there's one name they remember, and that's the name of Jesus, that he's lifted up. And it's not about us, it's about him. We can live in humility without giving up how God has shaped us. Secondly, we learn from the incarnation of Christ that he exposed darkness without condemning those in it. He exposed the wickedness of this world without condemning those in this world. Let's look at verses four through nine and see this distinction of the light of the world, Jesus coming into this darkness. Verse four, in him was life and that life, that divine life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Light dispels darkness. Verse six, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. This is John the Baptist, the forerunner. He came only as a witness to the light. He pointed to the light. And then verse nine, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world, Jesus. The one we celebrate, his coming into the world, his birth this Christmas. You know, we are told in scripture that man loves darkness rather than light. Man loves darkness rather than light. We have a, a little dog that's part Chihuahua named Mabel. Uh, we have another little dog that's a little older named Lucy. And Mabel loves to be in sunlight. She will scratch on the door to go out and just lay out on the concrete on a hot day in the sun. Uh, must be how she's wired in that part Chihuahua uh, that she is. Um, and, and she loves to lay in the light, but if the light moves, she wants to bring the light to her and she will scratch on the ground to bring it back to where she is. I remember one morning she was sitting on the steps and the sunlight was coming in a window and it was very warm there for her to lay there and she laid there about 20 minutes and the light moved up the wall and she wanted it back down where she was. She wanted it to be in her place. And you know, we as human beings try to define the light for ourselves. Uh, Mabel is uh, quite a character and our kids sometimes add to her being a character. A couple of Christmases ago, they decided to put a Santa suit on little Mabel. Um, but I, I'm fascinated with how this dog tries to, in the darkness, sometimes bring the light to her. In other words, she wants to define where she wants to be and what she wants to do. And isn't that so true of, of mankind in our sinfulness and our brokenness? We love darkness rather than light. And, and we want to confirm that how we're living is okay. And so we live in this, this world of relativism and this world that drifts into darkness. It's the same kind of world that, that Jesus entered into when he came in Bethlehem. Notice verse five says, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. The light shines, it dispels the darkness. The darkness doesn't take over the light. 
In John 3, 17 and 18, right after John 3, 16, the great message of how God has loved us so much and sent his son for us that we could have eternal life. Jesus then says, as he's talking to Nicodemus, the religious leader, he says in verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. I'm not here to condemn anybody. Whoever lives in, whoever believes in me is in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. He says, look, I didn't come here to condemn anybody because everybody's already condemned. Sometimes in Christianity, we think we have to point our finger at everybody and point out everybody's sin. I know my dad used to say when I was growing up, he'd say, you know, if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit's presence in the world, and we understand the end times when the Holy Spirit is removed from the world, all kinds of chaos comes into this world. He said, if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit restraining this world, people would live in such, so much more deep debauchery. God is holding back the floodgates of wickedness and sin and darkness that all should come to repentance. But the darkness of this world is dark. Man is depraved. There is a wickedness that flows from our hearts because of the rebellion that's found in the very beginning with Adam and Eve against God and what God said. And Jesus, as he walked in his life, he exposed darkness and the things done in the darkness, the people that pursue the darkness, try to define their own lives as light even when they're in the darkness. He exposed darkness without condemning those in it. What does that mean for us? We can walk in the light without looking down on others. There's some people who have to, they have to live the way God wants them to live and they have to tell everybody how bad they are compared to them. It's not always with our words. Sometimes it's our attitude. Sometimes we do that to our children, our grandchildren. We're just supposed to live and love like Jesus. That is light. And when that light shines, it dispels the darkness. We don't have to say, I'm talking to you, I'm talking to you with our attitude, our disposition, our lives. If you look at Jesus, he was always light. He was always morality and righteousness and love and grace. He didn't have to condemn other people because Jesus said they're already condemned. So he said, I'm here to bring them the light. I'm here to let them know they can believe. And whoever believes, the condemnation is removed. Romans 8.1 says that those who know Jesus no longer have any condemnation, judgment hanging over them. We can walk in the light without looking down on others. Do you have a critical spirit? Do you, do you have to tell people what you do or you don't do because you're a Christian? You don't have to do that. We should minimize that. We should just live in righteousness and holiness and communicate why we're doing what we're doing or why we're not doing that in grace and love. Thirdly, as Jesus came to us, as God came to us, he offered himself with for, without forcing others to receive him. He offered himself without forcing others to receive him. Notice what we read then in verses 10 through 13 of John 1. He was in the world, Jesus. And though the world was made through him, he's the creator of it, now he's living in it, the, word, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own. He came to the nation of Israel. They knew the Messiah was coming. They've been looking for the Messiah. Now they're under the grips of the Roman Empire and they miss who he is, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become the children of God. Children born not of natural descent, not as children uh, by human lineage, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. 
born of God. Jesus offered himself without forcing others to receive him. We read in verse 11. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. To all who did receive him, verse 12 says, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. C.S. Lewis puts it this way, the son of God became a man to enable men to become sons of God. Jesus Christ became the son of God so we could be the sons and daughters of God through faith in his name, the person and work of Jesus Christ. Let me ask you, have you believed in his name? Not in the idea of Christianity, not in the forms and structure, not in the behaviors and the habits, but if you rested in Jesus Christ and what his name represents, that he's the one who died, was buried, and was raised for you out of love. And he wants to remove the condemnation, the judgment that hovers over you. Put your faith in Christ. Believe in his name and what it represents. Put your life in his hands. Trust him. And he'll forgive you of your sins. Remove that condemnation that's over every human being since Adam and Eve. And he'll make you his son or his daughter. You'll be a part of his family. If today you pray and ask God to forgive you in Jesus' name, that you believe in Christ and what he came to do for you, we want to be able to encourage you in your new walk with Christ as his son or daughter. You could text the name Jesus to the number on the screen below me. We want to come alongside you. We want to be of help to you. We want to encourage you. You can, you can text the name Jesus there and we'll follow up with you this week. You get some encouragement back from us. Somebody on our team will reach out to you to pray with you. If you say, well, I've just got some questions. I don't know if I believed in his name. I'm not sure anymore. I'm not sure what I did. Text the name Jesus to, to the number on the screen and we'll follow up with you. We want to walk with you through this. So what does this mean? That he offered himself without forcing others to receive. What does this mean for us then? In our demeanor and how we go to others the same way Jesus came to us. Well, we can share Christ without badgering or manipulating others. We can share Christ without badgering or manipulating others. There are some Christians who think you've got to get a big Bible and hit people over the head. There are some Christians who think you've got to do sneaky, manipulative things. And if you understand all the marketing, you can convince anybody of anything. No, we go, and we go with the Christ who has saved us, and we offer to others the hope of the good news of Jesus Christ. We show them that hope. We show them that love and how we treat them, how we approach them, how we help them, how we see their needs and step into their world like Jesus stepped into our world. This weekend on our campus, we had the opportunity, uh, Saturday morning, uh, to host about 120 families who have a child in their family affected by disability. And there are great financial needs in these homes. In these days, of course, with COVID, there are a number of, number more, a lot more people who are facing difficulties financially as the holidays approach. And we asked you to bring toys in. And I checked with our team on Monday. I said, well, do you need me to send out an email to get more toys? And they said, no, the Calvary family has responded. We got toys for the disability Christmas shop on our campus. And we've got, we've got toys we're going to be able to share with the other Christmas shops for other families that are financially challenged and in need during the season. And I said, that's so great, the generosity of God's people. Then we had volunteers come today. We had to do it outside. We had to do the social distancing. We had to do a lot of things to make sure that people were safe, changed a lot of the rhythms, but we were still able to bless people. 
And I believe this is a part of us not forcing people, not manipulating people, but taking the love God has shown us, the generosity God has shown us, and being generous with others. That's the same thing we're doing in our Christmas offering with our partners here and around the world. With investing in our special needs ministries through generations, we're taking the generosity God has shown us as individuals and families, and then we're giving it to God's work to make a difference in the lives of others. We're not twisting people's arms. We're not trying to be real slick or cool and market things just the right way. We're sharing what Christ has done for us in love and encouraging others to receive his love too. Can I just encourage you, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, to find Two ways between now and Christmas to step into somebody else's world. To step into somebody else's world and help them and show them the love of Jesus. Just like Jesus stepped into your world. Maybe look for a neighbor in need, a coworker in need. Maybe even do it so that no one knows you help them with that financial need or you help them find that connection. Sometimes networking people to the right resources is a part of being a blessing to others. But find two people that you wouldn't normally serve and help and step into the world and love them in Jesus' name. Do it humbly as Jesus did. Do it as you live in love like Jesus, shining his light. And then offer them the help and the hope without twisting arms or forcing or manipulating. Give to them freely. If you've got children in your home, find a way to include your kids and how you're going to help those two people. You can reach out to our our team, there are different ministries that are going on that you can find a way to plug in and help during this holiday time. Fourthly, if we're going to go to others the way Christ came to us, we have to understand that God came to us in such a way that he lived among us without slipping into the typical human extremes. He lived among us without slipping into the typical human extremes. What do I mean by that? Well, Let's look at verses 14 to 17 and see this description of how Jesus came. The Word, Jesus Christ, God the Son, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. I love how Eugene Peterson's uh, paraphrase the message says, he lived in the neighborhood. He came and lived with us. He walked 33 years with real human beings living real life. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father. He is the one who has shown us the Father. And notice it says, full of grace and truth. Grace and truth. This is not a compromise. He didn't say, well, you know, it'd be a good thing if I was part truth and part grace, and I'm just going to compromise and be 50% truth, 50% grace. The same way he is 100% humanity and 100% deity and forever blended as the God-man, he is by his very nature and who he is and then how he lived it out among us. He demonstrated that humanity can live it out as we submit ourselves to the Spirit of God and trust God to work through us. He demonstrated what it meant to be the perfect blend and harmony of grace and truth. In the day in which John wrote and uses this philosophical word, word to describe God the Son coming from God as an utterance from God to us. In that same world, uh, they would have in many of the Greco-Roman uh, worship centers, they would have uh, in those temples maybe the gods of grace and love and forgiveness and kindness and compassion over here. And then over here on the other side of the temple, you'd see the gods of wrath and justice and righteousness and holiness. But they never believed that any God actually could be a God of grace and truth. And John says, look, I saw Jesus. I walked with Jesus, this one who came and lived among us. And I'm telling you, I saw the Father in him. 
I saw God in him. I saw grace and truth. As human beings, we love to lunge one direction or the other. We're, we're so into grace and love and forgiveness and compassion, we do it to the detriment of holiness and righteousness and justice and truth. That's, that's an extreme that's some of you by nature, by personality, by your past, you slip into that extreme. And then we've got people who are so into righteousness and justice and morality and what is holy and true. They embrace those things to the detriment of grace. And I have people who will say, you know, we need to be brave and love people to the point that we don't ever talk about the truth or talk about holiness or righteousness or what it means to walk in the light. Then I have other people say, we need to be brave and stand up for things and be moral and make a difference. And they lose love. And they say, we need to be brave. Let me tell you where the brave spot is. The brave and courageous point for us as we follow Jesus is to have grace and truth without the detriment of the other. Not downplaying one or the other. Just like Jesus. So what does it mean? He lived among us without slipping into these typical human extremes. Well, we can impact others without slipping into graceless legalism. Graceless legalism or truthless liberty. Oh, I'm free to love people and there are no standards. It's kind of like Mabel. And we'll just say the light is on our side. Doesn't matter what God says or God's word says. We're just going to love people. Or we're for truth and righteousness and holiness. But there's no love or compassion. It's courageous to obey God's word, to walk as Jesus walked. That's where courage is. It takes bravery to have that kind of harmony and blend in our lives. And it only comes as we walk with God day by day, allowing him to transform his, our lives and his spirit to fill us and live out the reality of Christ in our everyday relationships. We can impact others without slipping into graceless legalism or truthless liberty. Tim Keller points out that if we had a God of only truth or a God of grace, Christmas would be something very different. He says, a God who was only holy would not have to come down to us in Jesus Christ. He would have simply demanded that we pull ourselves together, that we be moral and holy enough to merit a relationship with him. A deity that was all accepting God of love would not have needed to come to earth either. This God of the modern imagination would have just overlooked sin and evil and embraced us. Neither the God of moralism, truth without grace, moralism, nor the God of relativism, grace without truth, would have bothered with Christmas. That is the uniqueness of the incarnation and Christ coming to us. He, God, came to us in human flesh. And John said, I walked with him. I watched him. I saw his life. I heard his messages. And the thing that impressed me the most, John says, is he was full of this incredible blend and harmony of grace and truth without lunging to an extreme of moralism, without grace or relativism, without truth. Maybe you need to ask someone that you really respect them and their maturity. Not someone who's into moralism like you are or relativism like you are. Relativism as you are. But find someone you respect who demonstrates grace and truth and ask them if you've lunged into an extreme. Let them speak into your life. Don't let social things or political things shape what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Let God's word, the example of Christ, shape who you are as you seek to live for him. 
Fifth and finally, when God came to us, he showed us God without making him distant and unrelatable. He made God relatable and personable. Not some God who wound up the universe and is standing back and just waiting until he judges the world. He showed us God without making God distant or unrelatable. Look at verse 18. It's, it, it says so clearly here, no one has ever seen God, the very essence of God, who God really is, but the one and only Son. He knows who God the Father is, who is, is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father. He has shown us, God has made him known. He is the one, the one who is himself God, has reflected to us in human flesh what godliness, what it means to be godlike, what it means to, to show that blend of grace and truth. In John 14 in the upper room, Jesus said, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So what does it mean for us? Since he showed us God without making him distant and unrelatable. Well, we can demonstrate godliness to others without driving them away. In our spirit and our demeanor, we can, we can take Jesus to them without pushing them away or giving them offense. We can demonstrate godliness, Christ-likeness to others without being irritating, without lunging into moralism or relativism. We can pursue love, the love and life of Christ, the grace and truth of Jesus, and live that out as God's spirit transform us transforms us through the teaching of his word and the, the filling of the Holy Spirit. 2 Timothy 2, 24 to 25, the New Living Translation, this really gathers the spirit of this, how, how we go to people, not with a holier than thou, or doesn't matter what you do or how you live, I'm gonna love you no matter what kind of a thing. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone. Have you been quarrelsome this year? I know I've been a little cranky because of circumstances. We don't need to be quarrelsome, but we've got to be able to teach and be patient with difficult people. Oh, that's hard. Gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Perhaps God will change those people's hearts and they will learn the truth. Notice the demeanor here. The, the, the servant of the Lord. How did Jesus come? According to Philippians 2, he came as a servant. We need to go toward others. As God came to us, and now we go to others with his love and his truth, we need to do that with a servant spirit. I don't know about you, but I've watched several times the show Undercover Boss. And it's always interesting because they get some executive in a company who spends a week uh, dressed as something else. And, you know, they, like they, they uh, come up with like a hard hat, you know, an orange hard hat. And they take a guy who's used to being in a suit and they disguise him. And then he goes in, and he works among so many people. And at the end, he either, you know, fires people or he gives them money for their schooling. Or if it's a, a parent in need, he might give something for their children or they do something special at the end. And uh, there's even a celebrity edition of this where Deion Sanders on one episode uh, dressed pretty normally so no one would recognize him and then he went in among some amateur coaches that were dealing with like a little league of football in a community and, and he, uh, he tried to be the undercover boss in there and coach them and help them understand. Jesus is much more than an undercover boss. He's not just here to check up on us or to fool us. He came here so that we could know him and as we knew him, we would then know the Father. We would see the grace and truth of God lived out in Christ. The incarnation, God came to us when we couldn't go to him. In his book, Pleasures Evermore, The Life-Changing Power of Enjoying God, Sam Storm 
Sam Storms says something, I, I, just a couple paragraphs I, I want to close with. Listen to this description of the incarnation. God the Son coming in human flesh, living among us. The Word became flesh. God became human. The invisible became visible. The untouchable became touchable. Eternal life experienced temporal death. The transcendent one descended and drew near. The unlimited became limited. The finite became the infinite became finite. The immutable became mutable. The unbreakable became fragile. Spirit became matter. Eternity entered time. The independent became dependent. The almighty became weak. The loved became hated. The exalted was humbled. Glory was subjected to shame. Fame turned into obscurity. From inexpressible joy to tears of unimaginable grief. From a throne to a cross, from ruler to being ruled, from power to weakness. He was conceived by the union of divine grace and human disgrace. He who breathed the breath of life into the first man is now himself a man breathing his first breath. The king of kings is now sleeping in a cow pen. The creator of oceans and seas and rivers afloat in the womb of his mother. God sucking his thumb. The alpha and omega learning his multiplication tables. He who was once surrounded by the glorious stereophonic praise of adoring angels now hears the lowing of cattle, the bleeding of sheep, and the stammering of bewildered shepherds. He who spoke the universe into being now coos and cries, omniscient deity counting his toes, from the robes of eternal glory to the rags of swaddling cloths, the omnipresent spirit, whose being fills the galaxies, confined to the womb of a peasant girl. Infinite power, learning to crawl. God came to us. Hope is here. Are you going to others for Christ in your daily, way, daily life the same way Christ came to you? Do you carry that same demeanor of, of humility and love and grace? That he demonstrated? Look for some people to approach in your life. And think about how Jesus, God came to us. And approach them with that same spirit, that same attitude. And love them as Jesus would. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. The one who came in human flesh for us. Will you pray with me please? Father, thank you for the example of Christ. May we learn what it means to follow how, how Jesus humbled himself. How Jesus dispelled the darkness without condemning those in it. Help us, Father, to, to share him, to offer the good news to others without manipulating or badgering people, but to open up and just step into the world as you stepped into our world through your son. Help us, Father, not to rush to extremes of moralism that has no grace or relativism that has no truth. Help us to live and love like Jesus every day. And then, Father, I pray that you would help us to be a reflection of God in human flesh, like Christ was such a reflection. Help us to have the same demeanor as we go to others with the hope and love of Christ as you came to us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.